the pitch. Swing and a base hit to left center field. And Camellia's going to score. This game is over. On an RBI hit by Mickey Poole. Thanks for taking the time to download and listen to the Philadelphia Baseball Review Podcast. I'm Patrick Gordon, founder and executive editor of the Philadelphia Baseball Review. Our mission is to cover baseball at all levels throughout the Philly region, with a particular focus on promoting the amateur, high school, and college ranks. Our aim is to tell the untold baseball stories across the Quaker City. So please be sure to follow me on Twitter if you're not already at PGordonPBR. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you may be listening. Also, leave us a review. And be sure to visit PhiladelphiaBaseballReview.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. Now, let's get into today's show. All right, everybody. So I'm joined here with John Galante, the president of Tri-State Elite Umpires Association. He's also the director of umpiring uh, in the Northeast for Perfect Game. John, I appreciate you coming aboard. Yeah, Patrick, thanks for having me. Uh, Excited to talk with you. I just wanted to say uh, everything you're doing for local sports and and the coverage of uh, local sports, high school sports, is awesome. Uh, John, I, I appreciate it, and uh, it's been a long passion of mine to make sure that the, you know, the stories of the the youth and and the amateur level, uh, you know, get out there. We have so much coverage, obviously, of the pros and the Phillies, but you know, especially in this area. I mean, geez, there's what twenty some colleges, hundred plus high schools, um, hell, just in the Philly area, not even going in the Jersey, uh, that are worthy of attention. So anything I can do to bring bring spotlight to that. Uh, you know, I want to do so. So I appreciate that. And uh, speaking of high school, uh, big news for you, uh, inking a deal with the Philadelphia Catholic League. Walk us through what this means for your organization with Tri-State and uh, for the Philly Catholic League going forward. Yeah, we're really excited about it. It's something uh, that we're proud to be a part of. And that's going to give us an opportunity to affect umpires and train umpires and help umpires reach their goals just across the bridge, which is not, I mean, it's it's across a bridge, but if we're talking 15 minutes away from uh, where most of our high school work is done, but um, a real area where we wanted to start to pursue and start to develop an umpiring culture there. And uh, it's, it's just going to give us an opportunity with a, a league and a conference like that uh, to really do a lot of good for the umpiring community in Philadelphia. Yeah. How did the connection or the relationship sort of build out? Was it something that you approached the PCL about where they, actively looking uh, at another organization because I know, uh, you know, in full disclosure, I'm involved uh, a little bit with the PIAA. I know that's who they've always used in the past um, for at least the past few years. How did that whole conversation sort of work? Yeah. So with the, with the high school stuff, it's, it's, it's a little confusing. It's a little convoluted, but uh, we, our umpires would still be affiliated with the PIAA. All of our umpires, if they want to work the Catholic league, are going to have to register and go through all the, um, the registration requirements, the background checks of the PIAA. Um, I don't know what happened last year, but the position became open and was publicly uh, listed as available. So I put in my resume. Uh, we interviewed for the job about two weeks ago, and we got the good news pretty shortly thereafter. So I'm assuming the interview process went well. Um, I would say so. <laughs> yeah. And so that's how it came about. It was, it was pretty much a public listing. Uh, I've expressed interest in the job in the past when it's been open, but it hasn't worked out. Uh, but I think the our numbers and how they've grown and sort of our reputation in the area worked in our favor uh, for, for this time around. So we're we're pretty excited about it. Now, 
give us a little bit of background about Tri-State Elite Umpires, what that organization is, you know, how you started it, and, and what it's grown to uh, today. So when I was, I'm 32 now, which is still pretty young for uh, umpire signing standards. But in, yeah. when I was 22, I started an umpire organization called Tri-State Elite Umpires. And at that time, we had eight umpires, one of which was my dad. So, um, and I was one of them. So we're talking about six other people, not much of an organization. So just little by little, we started to pick up little leagues and then tournaments and then travel leagues. And then we started to get involved with high school affiliated summer leagues and, you know, kind of put my head down and just kept working at it. And you look up two, three, four years later, and we're at 200 umpires, we're at 250 umpires, and now we sit here at, I think it's 635 or so that are uh, within Philadelphia and New Jersey. And, you know, Perfect Game has been a big part of that, too. We signed a contract with Perfect Game a few years ago, um, and now I work for them full time. But just that level of baseball and those guys being able to roll out tournaments um, at the scale they roll them out and at the quality of baseball they roll out um, and us being the sole supplier of umpires for them has been a real shot in the arm for us, too. So. Um, over the 10 years, we started with like somewhere between eight to 10 umpires. And now we're probably sitting here with six, 600 plus or so. So it's been, it's probably been an unlikely story, but here we are. It's very, very impressive though, John, very impressive. And, you know, I'm curious to hear about your start in umpiring. How did you get into this? You know, you mentioned the age 22, uh, you know, ha- again, umpiring traditionally is an older gentleman, uh, you know, sport. It, it's usually the older guys doing this. The age of 22, what made you, what, what gravitated you towards it? How did you get into it? Give us a little bit of background there. Yeah. So the, the, the start of it all is probably like not the most romantic story with baseball. I played <laughs> baseball my whole life. Um, I was a catcher. I played in college a little bit and then I dropped out of school. Um, and I wanted to do something that would pay me an hourly wage that I was satisfied with that also kept me involved in baseball. And I think I saw a local advertisement in a newspaper for my local high school organization where I lived. And I went through that classroom training a couple times. And uh, that spring for the high school season, I started to work literally every single baseball game I could, whether it was middle school, freshman, sub varsity. Um, and about you know three quarters of the way through that year, I was doing a lot of games and I just saw, I just saw a different path for how an an umpire organization would be run. And that's not no shot at anybody else. I just thought there was kind of a a more innovative, maybe in, in the future way to um, more innovate a umpire organization. And so I kind of just took that leap and went out on my own, um, which probably had a very unlikely chance of working out just because so much of this is based in tradition and who umpires have used, who leagues and teams have used in the yeah. past. And that's just kind of how it is. But I've been surrounded with a lot of good people who've taught me a lot of things and had my back, you know, and thought that I was on to something that had a good idea and they agreed with some of the philosophies we were going to put into play. So I've been very, very fortunate. Part of it is luck too. Anybody who says they start a sure. business and it, it blew up. Part of it is just good fortune and luck too. Yeah. No, totally. It it definitely plays a big role into it. And, you know, I think to be an umpire, you would definitely have to have, um, you know, a love for the game of baseball, like a deep love, because ultimately, you know, a good day for you is to not be recognized. Right. I mean, that's the, the goal of an umpire is to be there, do a good job and 
to just be non-existent almost. And in today's day and age, especially, I'd love to get your take on this when you do the tournaments and stuff. So many parents just chirping, thinking they know everything or, you know, that call was wrong, this, that, the other. And it gets, you know, it gets pretty heated. And it's one reason why we have an umpire shortage, right? Yeah, I mean, there's so many reasons that contribute to the umpire shortage. We could probably do in a whole nother episode on just that. But <laughs> sure. um, when we talk about, you know, I, that's a phrase I hear all the time from coaches and stuff like that is uh, the best umpires are, you know, never recognized or we don't even know they're there. Well, I think I kind of disagree on that a little bit, uh, partially because 90% of the time you're probably right. 90% of the time we don't even want to know the umpires are there until we need them. Until we've got, you know, catcher's interference with a double in the gap or we've got, a yeah. you know, some sort of weird ground rule. And that's kind of the way we teach our umpiring. 95% of the game, just kind of chill out. Call your balls and strikes. We don't need to insert ourselves. But there's times when the lights go on and we, that's kind of the way we yeah. it. And, you know, at this point in time, we need somebody who has studied the rules, who knows the ins and outs of this who's been trained how to handle it. And that's the 5% of the game. We really got to insert ourselves to take control of the situation, make sure everybody knows what's going on, kill any confusion. And to me, that's what umpiring should be, especially at the amateur level, high school baseball, youth tournaments and things like that. But with, with parents, um, it it does seem to be getting worse and it's, it's definitely a, a contributing factor to the shortage. It's not the only reason for the shortage, but it's definitely a contributing factor. And it just seems um, as the price of tournaments goes up, as the price of tuition for travel teams goes up, it just seems like there's a lot more um, almost emphasis on the outcomes of these games that in the grand scheme of these kids' careers and lives probably doesn't matter a ton as long as they're developing right. and um, enjoying themselves and having fun. And that just seems not – that doesn't seem the way baseball is trending right now at the amateur level. It's There's, there's almost a – the cease, the the balance is is a little out of whack as far as right. the uh, outcomes of the games or the outcome of a single pitch or call. Yeah, I was at a freshman game. I won't mention the schools. It was Catholic League this past year, and uh, you know some of the parents are getting heated on the umpire. And uh, somebody turned around and said, "Look, no one today is getting a scholarship to Florida State, Vanderbilt, or any any other place. You know, any need to kind of chill out a bit and." You know, part of me, again, being involved in youth sports myself and coaching myself and umpiring as well, you know, you feel like some of the parents are, are living vicariously through their children. And that, I believe, is part of what makes this so difficult, where it's not even necessarily the child or, or the the player that's getting up in arms about a, a questionable call. It's the mom and dad down the right field line. What we see a lot, and it's, it's actually kind of a sad uh look into society right now is that we end up getting that parent that you're referring to. And not only does the kid not particularly agree with what they're saying, but they're embarrassed for their own parent at times. Yeah, And that's yep. like, that's, that's really a tough thing to watch because that's, that's gotta be a tough dynamic when they go home. And I'm sure the kid just wants to play and not focus yeah. so much on umpiring. I mean, really officiating should really not be the focus of anybody. Uh, in youth sports to the point where it takes your attention away from how the kids are doing or what their how what their enjoyment level is. Right. Now, John, one of the things that I love that you do, um, your videos for training, um, I've actually brought them up in uh, the Abington chapter, PIAA, that I'm a part of, and showcase some of them. Like I, I, I really am impressed by them. 
what made you decide to get into training others and and was that something that came natural to you um you know what is that like and and, and how much do you enjoy that aspect of what you do i mean that's that's my favorite thing about what I do, if I, you know, there's, there's the pieces of this that, that have to be done, which is like literally assigning the umpires, getting the scheduling done. Like that's not a true passion of mine. Obviously I do it. That's the, that's what the job entails. But my true passion is training umpires, helping umpires get better, helping umpires that, um, you know, been working high school baseball for years, but they've had a dream of getting into junior college baseball, or they've had a dream of getting into division three. That that's truly what when I get up in the morning, that's what I truly love to do. And the reason that that's such a passion for me is, is because that's kind of a void that I saw in amateur umpiring. And it's probably a nationwide void, but I've definitely seen it all across the Northeast uh, in a majority of areas. There's obviously some, some umpiring leadership and organizations that are doing a great job with it. But in a general sense, it's a real void that I saw out there for umpires where there's really, there's really no assistance to advance yourself. If you want to be really excellent at this, you know, and if, if you wanted to be really excellent at baseball and excel at division three, the, the options for you to get there and for people to help you get there are almost endless. Flip right. that to an umpire. I mean, you, it's not like they're listed in the phone book. You can't just Google it. Generally, it's hard. To, it's hard to do. And generally the high school assigner generally wants you to stay working high school games. They don't have enough umpires to begin with. So certainly losing you to, uh, you know, to go work at a division three school when you need them at a high school game, isn't, isn't really that great of a thought for a high school assigner. So generally we fought that too, but in a, to just sum it all up, that's been truly my passion from the beginning, helping umpires get to the level in which they really aspire to get to. You know, it's funny. You mentioned about, you know, the, the high school assigners and they want to keep you at that level, you know, as an umpire and speaking from experience, it takes a while to even get comfortable to step onto the field with a JV game. It isn't as if you go, uh, you know, to an umpire training camp or, or pass the PIAA test, whatever it may be. And all of a sudden now you're, you're, you know, on the basis for LaSalle or St. Joe's, it doesn't work that way. It, you got to work your way up from we're talking little league and, you know, junior legion and games like that. Walk us through sort of the the process that you see traditionally with umpires before they're ready to to take on the reins of a, a high school tilt with some some quality teams. That's that's a really great question, and I think you know we can sit here and look at maybe the way you were trained or I was trained, and like how long ago were you trained, uh, or how long ago did you start umpiring? For me, it would have been six years. Six years. So were you you were generally taught in a classroom, I assume, right? You sat in a chair, took notes. Correct. Yeah. Right. That's kind of the problem. Um, and we've been able the the sort of period of time it takes you to reach that, you know, LaSalle St. Joe's game, we've really been able to shrink that down by getting umpires out of a classroom. And mm-hmm. generally sitting there and teaching the rule book from rule one to, to the end of the book is, is generally not the most effective and efficient way to get somebody up to speed quickly. We've gotten umpires from no umpire experience, zero, they've never worked a game in their lives, to college baseball in two years. And that's because yeah. from the first time we meet them, we're throwing baseballs around. We're, we're, letting, yeah. we're defining a strike zone for them. We're giving them some real live mechanical instruction on how to be in a better position to get calls right, some strategies to use. And we're constantly 
calling pitches, calling outs and safes, talking about box. Like there's very little of our instruction that is sitting down in a classroom. And I think that's really a dynamic we have to change nationwide if we're going to get, number one, more people involved, keep more people involved longer and cut down that wait time to get them to be a quality umpire for a, like a varsity high school baseball game, for example. Because I know I, I learned the same way as you did. I came out of a classroom and I yep. had a, a JV scrimmage and I'm sitting there in the parking lot getting changed. And I'm thinking to myself, I know what a balk is. I know what the field dimensions are supposed to be. I know what the rule is. If somebody's glove is too long, the dimensions are, I've learned all that. Right. How do I call a strike? What do I do? Like, what's the, what's the physical signal that's supposed to look good and what I'm supposed to, how I'm supposed to call it or where am I supposed to go in this situation? That stuff was all missing from my training. Sure. And we get so caught up in the rules that I think we end up out there with a, a, a really great knowledge of the rules, but very little knowledge of how to practically umpire a baseball game. Yeah, no, I absolutely can see that. And, and that's why I think, um, you know, some of those youth games are, are some of the best. And yeah, the quality of baseball may not necessarily be there. Again, it's not going to be your varsity tilt between two quality teams, but it gives you a chance to see a little bit of everything. And how would you react in this situation or that situation? Or, you know, how do you handle, and I think you have an excellent training video on this, you know, how do you diffuse a difficult situation with a coach? You know, coach is going at you and maybe you did mess the call up. So maybe you do have to give them a little bit more leeway and hear them out because maybe something earlier in the game went the wrong way, whatever it may be. You know, yeah, you, you're 100% right, John. You can't learn that in a classroom. You have to be on the field experiencing that. And, you know, that's one of the tricks, too, or tricky parts of, of being an umpire. You know, with the PIAA, you, you do the exam. You get your patch in the mail. You go to five meetings, six meetings, uh, you know, per year. And that's kind of it. Like, there is – like, it's on you totally to get better. And part of me, like, respects that. The other part of me is like, all right, well, there should be some additional things going on here. And just sending out bulletins at the beginning of beginning of the season. Hey, these are the rules that we want to, you know, really focus in on this year. To me, just seems like you know you're throwing something into the wind there. Yeah, it's it's just funny because umpiring is like kind of the only, or I guess officiating in general is the only thing looked at that way. Like, hey, show up to these meetings, pass this open book test, but you know you're on your own for the rest. You know, we wouldn't do that yeah. like an electrician, a plumber, a heart surgeon. Like that's that would never be the no. case. So no. And none of what we're teaching is generally like a common instinctual thing. Like just because you played baseball doesn't mean you would think to to umpire the proper way. Most of the things you would do if we just threw you on a field and said, hey, we don't have an umpire today. Go umpire this game. And you have no training. Almost everything you do would be wrong because your natural right. instincts would be in it, your natural instincts don't generally apply very well to umpiring the right way. So that that is that is a frustrating point for me that that umpires are generally left to fend for themselves not only with physically umpiring the game but the diffusing of situations that you mentioned and I think if we had umpires that were more prepared to umpire and also more prepared with some some strategies and some social awareness of how we can diffuse situations on the right. field I think we would curb this umpire issue too because I think we'd have less umpires quit right uh, because either they're not very good at it and they're receiving a lot of negative feedback or they would be better able to handle this this 
these situations without, you know, it being a total disaster out there. Yeah. And it, it's a, sl- it's a challenge. It really is. I mean, you you have to have a certain work schedule that allows you to do this. The pay isn't, you know, like, wow, I- I'm going to make it rich doing this. Um, you know, you really have to have a love for the game. And this, I, I too believe is one of the reasons why we're starting to see and have been seeing for years now, this decline of, um, you know, officials. And the sad part is, you know, when you start having the veterans that have done this for 20, 25, 30 years move on, all of that institutional knowledge and ability to think on their feet, they've seen it all, they've been around, there's no coach or manager that's going to get under their skin, you know, we lose something when we lose those umpires. What are you seeing with regard to um, new recruits? Are, are your numbers kind of going up? Are they kind of um, you know, who, what are their ages? Is it sort of the more older, uh, middle age where you're seeing some younger guys coming out, maybe college age that just, um, you know, are looking to stay with the game. What are you seeing with, with tri-state? Yeah. So we've been, I think that's a, a great topic to talk about because what, what I'm going to discuss is, is proof that this can be done. Like this can be changed. We're, we're not in a, in a never ending cycle of less and less umpires every year. We just finished. Well, we'll finish it tomorrow. We have to bring the the cadet brand new umpires out there for a scrimmage tomorrow to train them a little bit more, but they'll be done after tomorrow. We have 41 umpires in the new class. Uh, the average age of the umpire is like somewhere between 31 and 32 years old, which wow. is crazy young. Yes. Um, and we haven't had a year um, in the last nine years where we've added less than 60 umpires a year. So awesome. a, a little bit of that is just time and effort along with some a little bit of social media savvy. Um, and it, it, for umpire associations and the average age of, you know, umpire leadership and umpires in general, umpiring and umpiring organizations have not exactly been at the forefront of, you know, social media marketing, things like that. True. Which is yeah. where I think we're really, really missing the boat. But we haven't we nationwide have done a really bad job of selling the positives of umpiring. I mean, every time you turn on the news or you read a news article, it's something negative. And there's plenty of negatives to talk about. You know, the umpire getting punched in the face in Long Island, uh, yeah. the games being ended because they're harassing umpires. That stuff all happens. Like, I'm not trying to say that doesn't happen. But that's still the the really small minority of situations out there. The truth is, if you love baseball, if you want to make a really strong hourly wage and it's getting – stronger as we go uh partially mm-hmm. due to some of the work we're doing like there's no greater thing to be involved in as a side job or a side hustle or whatever you want to call it as far as an hourly uh rate of 35 to 40 dollars an hour be around the game we have some of our umpires work 350 games a year and totally are in love with it because they're adding money to their household and they're staying around the game of baseball that they love and they're not working you know a standard job in the mall or pumping gas or whatever the case may be, which is nothing wrong right. with those jobs, but it's just different. It does. Sometimes this doesn't feel like work and I just don't feel like we sell the positives enough. We sit sure. here and talk about all the negatives all the time and they're there, but like sure. the amount we talk about them is, is really, it's a, it, the ratio is out of whack. Yeah. I, I love what you're saying too, about if you love the game, because look, a lot of us, myself included here, you know, I, I just didn't have the talent coming out of college or even while in college, to be quite honest, to continue playing at any sort of a competitive le- level. Uh, you know, Sunday beer league softball was sort of it. And, 
it, you know, let's be honest, it's not really the, you know, enjoyable baseball being played there. Uh, you know, so it made me say, all right, look, in addition to writing, how else can I be affiliated with this game near this game and, you know, just, just be a part of it. And and that's where umpiring really comes in. And, you know, there's so many people that do love this game. I'm thinking of, uh, so many college, uh, you know, athletes that love it that, you know, look, you're just not going to make it the next level. Professional bowl is just not in the cards for you, but there's this other thing that maybe you would be great at right now um, and take a look at. And I love what you're saying too about social media. I think that is one of the things that you have done extremely well, whether it be with how you manage Twitter, with your content and videos that you put out, um, whatever it may be, that just isn't happening across the country or, um, you know, in, in many areas at least where you're seeing this and, and it's engaging content. It's good, nice, pr- it's solidly produced content. And you're like, wow, it looks pretty cool. I can do that. They look like my age. Let me get involved there. Um, you know, it's funny. I'm 39 and hell for the last three or four years with the chapter I'm involved with, I feel like I, if I'm not the youngest person, I'm probably the second or third youngest. And, uh, you know, I felt okay with that when I first started, but now having been involved for several years, it's sort of like, where, where is the new wave coming from? Um, it looks like you're getting them, which is, which is great. Yeah. But, but it's not like there's just no way that 41 people is the maximum number in the Philadelphia metro area that want to become umpires. If they were given the I agree. opportunity, yeah. they're sitting at home, they're just doing other things. And that's, what's frustrating because, the real problem with high school umpiring right now or high school umpiring organizations is there's no there's no next wave like you just mentioned. There's no 31-year-old umpire that's coming up the ladder. So when, when that's the case and it, you have year after year of never replenishing the umpiring pool, and we yeah. talk about this all the time, we have to continue to replenish it, the, the edge of the cliff is coming up. Like yeah. As guys retire, as they age out, as they just get tired of doing this, as they move out of the area. We're just losing umpires. So we yeah. might add 60 a year, but we're losing 20. So we get a net gain of 40. Um, we run two cadet classes a year. I think that's important too. But we're, we're, we still have to make up for the umpires we're going to lose. And we end up with a sure. net gain of 40 a year, and that's that's how you stay on pace to continue to grow. But if, you're, if anybody's listening who's a part of a chapter that's going down each year in registration – Something's got to be done radically different, like not just kind of different, radically different. Get out of a classroom, push this thing on social media. Let's get rid of all the association fees for first year members. Let's get rid of all the $175 sign up costs for training. We've got to eliminate every barrier to entry to umpiring humanly possible. Yeah. No, I agree. It's funny. When I was a, a young kid, I remember the back of Baseball Weekly. I, you may be too young to remember Baseball Weekly. I don't know. It's I think out now Sports Weekly, but Baseball Weekly, you could buy it at Wawa. It was a buck. I think I've mentioned Baseball Weekly in every podcast I've done, but either way, I would always love reading it, but also in the back, there were the classifieds and the advertisements. And I'll never forget, there was always two umpiring schools. I forget the one. The other one, I believe, was Harry Wendelstadt, and it was come down to, I think, Clearwater, Florida or someplace for a month for umpiring school for like, I don't know, $3,000 or whatever. And I remember thinking to myself, even at a young age, I knew I had no skill to continue playing baseball. 
you know, competitively, I was like, I think maybe I want to do that, Dad. That's something I, I think I may want to do. Um, the Harry Wendelstead umpiring school. What's your take on those big, big schools? You know anybody that has done them? Have you done anything like that? What you know, if somebody comes across it, are are, are they legit? What do you think? Well, yeah, I've never done it, but I do know. You know, I can speak pretty confidently about it. it. They're they're definitely legitimate if you're if you're going for the right reasons. If you're right, if you're young enough and you really truly want to pursue a career or a potential career in professional baseball, that's literally the only way to do it. Like, if you're interested in professional baseball. Like full disclosure, I can't help you with that. Like I can, I can help train you a little bit, but I'm not. We can't open any doors for professional baseball. That's kind of the only place to go now. Um, yeah. But if you're too old, that's not going to happen. Like if you're 26 years old, you're too old. Um, yes. If you're 25, yeah. you're too old. Uh, but if you're, you know, just a high school umpire and you're retired and you just want to get really good at this or you want to get better, it's still a great opportunity if you have the, you know, disposable income to go do it. Um, you're going to become a lot better umpire going there, and you're going to be able to be a, a, a great resource for your organization to come back and bring that information back and potentially help either train the trainers that are training your organization or train the umpires and really invest yourself that way in, in your chapter or your organization. So uh, if, the, if, the, if it makes sense for you, I think it's a great thing to go do. But just going in there with some reasonable expectations based on right. your age and things like that. Now, walk me through, uh, John, your involvement with Perfect Game. How did you get in there? Um, you know, that relationship, how has that grown over the last couple of years? Um, you know, walk our walk the listeners through that. Yeah, it's the, the beginning of it is kind of a funny story because um, one of our umpires was having lunch at, you know, a local cafe or whatever. And he saw um, Bob Barth and Colleen Barth, who were um, basically at the time ran um, perfect game, super 25, which was out of Vineland, New Jersey. And they were a pretty large operation. And he just kind of went, he went up to their table without just kind of went up to them and said, Hey, uh, are you guys still running baseball tournaments? And they said, yeah, we were, yeah, we are. And he said, well, who are you using for umpires? And they, they said, we're looking for somebody right now. And two days later I went in for an interview because my umpire recommended me. I got hired there just to supply the umpires in Vineland, New Jersey. Um, they they expanded from Vineland to Atlantic City to East Greenwich to Marlton, basically all of New Jersey, even into Newark and Piscataway. Um, and we kind of took all that under our umbrella. We kind of grew with the company. And then last year, I was offered a position uh, full time, which I'm very thankful for, uh, to oversee umpiring operations in the Northeast. So, I mean, a lot of our success is due to that, you know, by chance meeting. And that's when I say, like, just good fortune and luck is part of this. I think we've always done things the right way, but if that meeting never happens, I don't know if we're sitting here having this conversation right now. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that's been a real, um, it's really elevated my platform a little bit. I've been able to train more umpires in more areas and really impact the umpiring community um, in a way I probably wouldn't have been able to without perfect game. And they, the best amateur scouting tournaments in the country by far. So um, first class company that I'm really proud to be a part of. Yeah, and perfect game over the last several years, especially, has really grown. Um, you know, these tournaments, the showcases they do, uh, you know, are really top class. They they do an excellent job. Um, you know, I think of of helping put some really solid youth players on the radar of some some colleges, and uh, you know, you hear a ton of great stories about athletes that you know came out of these tournaments, were seen, and were offered opportunities elsewhere. Um, 
you know, I, I feel like perfect game has really done a lot of good for baseball. Um, you know, you hear a lot of knocks on tournaments and, you know, it's an oversaturated market and, you know, everybody's just out to get a dollar. I feel like perfect game does it differently though. Well, perfect game. One thing you got to say about perfect game, the best of the best go to perfect game. The, you know, if you really want to challenge yourself, you want to see how you stack up against, you know, your grad year, your age level. I mean, that's where everybody is. That's where the true test lies. And perfect games, all they're trying to do things the right way and, and do the best thing for the players and their exposure. So I kind of always had that feeling from the outside looking in, but being heavily involved in the Northeast office now, I mean, the amount of time and effort that goes into getting these kids as much exposure as possible, running quality events, making sure college coaches are available and can be at the games is, I mean, it's, it's an incredible operation to, to witness. And I don't really have much involvement on that side. I'm just, sure. you know, involved with umpiring for the most part, but it's really cool to see. Yeah, I know, like you just mentioned, you don't have a whole lot of involvement with, with this aspect of it, though. But being around Perfect Game and and knowing and understanding what they do, you know, walk us through a, a, a player who had quality talent, but they feel like they're D1 quality and they're not necessarily D1 quality, let's say, right? Let's say more D3, uh, you know, coaches are looking at them. How would you – you know, encourage that that player to, to go through with perfect game. How would you encourage them to navigate the process of looking at schools and programs? I'm curious to hear your take, somebody that's involved with with youth baseball at that level. Yeah, I mean, some of the I mean, obviously I would try to get myself around the team that is heavily involved in perfect game events. And, you know, if that's the kind of future that you envision for yourself as a player, I think it's important to make sure you're playing in quality events against quality competition, which to me, you sure. kind of set your watch to that with perfect game as some other local events could be probably hit or miss sometimes. Um, but also the individual showcase aspect of perfect game where you can truly get your measurables, get video and a player profile. And really, I mean, this is where college scouts and college um, coaches are looking and have a full database there. Um, I mean, they have a full-time scouting department at perfect game. I mean, that'll give you honest feedback and, you know, an honest write up. And, you know, I, I guess you kind of got to – you can think you are what you think you are until if everybody tells you something different, then you might want to have to rethink <laughs> that. But right. I, I think the way to really find out the truth is to go challenge yourself against the best, which I think is readily available at Perfect Game, and then go through the scouting series and the the, the individual showcase aspect of it and truly get a an honest evaluation from qualified people who have been in this business their whole life. I'm curious, John, to hear your take on tournaments. So obviously, as an umpire, you've been involved with a lot. And obviously, involved with Perfect Game, you've been involved in in, in quite a bit there, too. What makes for a good baseball tournament as an umpire in your mind? And just, uh, you know, for a showcase, what if if you were to say for a tournament to be top class or, or to be really, really good, um, what would you need to see there? What would you like to see there? So the, the toughest thing that is important is, and this requires a reputation for quality, is the consistent uh, quality of competition. And that only comes from, you know, PG doing this for 30 years at a level that no one else has. That's how you acquire talent and and competition weekly, where you can kind of bank on that. But 
facilities. I mean, look, tournaments and showcases, not that complicated. It, there's really not that many moving parts of it. It's the teams and players that show up, the facilities, the administration, and the umpires. That's what a tournament is. And if you can check all those boxes, and a big part of it is administration, like on site. We're not just talking about you show up to XYZ High School and you play your tournament game at 8 a.m. and 10 15, and then you leave. Right. There's an on site scout, there's an on site scorekeeper, there's an on site administrator if there's a rules discrepancy. These are just first class things that only, you know, a true like monster operator like Perfect Game could supply. Um, a, you know, a local event, it just, it's just not in the budget. There's no way to do it. Um, but quality facilities, quality administration and supervision of the fields, you know, a quality umpiring staff, which I think is often left out of some of these events. Um, and then the scouting aspect and, and competition level. I mean, it, it's really it's not a complicated uh, recipe, but sometimes right. it's difficult to put together. Yeah, no, I, I've I've been to my share of tournaments where it's sort of who who is running this thing, <laughs> you know. You wouldn't know um, it was a tournament unless you looked at the website. Um, you know, your, exactly. your game day experience doesn't feel like a tournament. No, and one thing also for for those people out there that do run tournaments, just because you have thirty seven teams and you're at six different fields, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a top class sort of event. You know, I feel like sometimes these tournaments, they try and get bigger, bigger, and bigger. And, and look, we have 15 teams competing from four different states. It's a, yeah, but look at the quality of play. If if the games are all being mercy ruled, which I hate, or, you know, umpires can't, you know, are, are late to one, uh, getting the one field because the other game hasn't ended. You know, to me, you, you kind of lose some, something there when you're trying to do a tournament. Yeah, I mean, in the end, I think a lot of – the lost the lost art of this is just attention to detail and some pride in what the what the customer experience is or what the team experience is, is. and i don't i just don't think there's anybody in the country who does that better than perfect game uh, so it's it's really it's cool to be a part of that when you truly believe that and that's that's who you're affiliated with so going back to tri-state um you know uh, elite umpires what's next for for your organization what you know you have this opportunity now with the the philly catholic league uh you know which is huge what do you see as sort of the next thing that you'd like to achieve with with your organization so we have we have just goals and aspirations of continuing to grow the umpire pool that's our that's our first overall goal is not only in this area but regionally we want to be a, a source of solution for the umpiring shortage. That's number one. Number two, we now have um, a sister company uh, called United Tri-State Umpires, which we've started with Alex Scandalis, um, who's been a real asset to us and a friend of mine who's who's helped me a ton. And he, most of the high schools that you're used to covering, he's probably assigning the umpires for. So he does right. a great job. And we've started a company with him for umpires um, up in North Jersey and into New York. And as we go further north, as we start to expand our coverage there. But we've, we really want to master what we're doing here in New Jersey, in the Philadelphia metro area, um, and see how we can be of a positive impact on the umpire community. And that's, we, we really just want to help umpires. And so we don't have these grand plans of, you know, taking over the state of Maine or moving <laughs> to different areas to take those places over. We really want to be a cheerleader for umpires, which I think has been missing for a long time, a true source of leadership for umpires who stand up for umpires, 
who fight for them to make a fair wage on the field um, and who have their backs and train them and help them. And I, I just think that's been missing for a long time. And, and the more umpires we can affect that way, that that's probably our goal for the future and probably always will be our goal. Well, John, look, as somebody who covers and reports on baseball and has done it for 20 some years now and, and, you know, working the amateur beat and, you know, um, what you're doing is much appreciated and is definitely needed without you, you know, umpires are the backbone of all of this, you know? Um, so, so we appreciate everything that you are doing with tri-state, um, appreciate everything you're doing with perfect game. Where can people get in touch with you, find out more about your organization? Let, let's hear all your, your social media accounts and, and websites. Yeah, so our website, tseumpires.com, that's really easy. You can find us on Facebook at Tri-State Elite Umpires Association. Um, And if you're interested in umpiring, if you're thinking about becoming an umpire, we will have another class in January that we will blast out all over social media as soon as we get dates, times, and locations confirmed. Um, But even umpires that either worked the Catholic League last year, have interest in working the Catholic League, want to work tournament baseball on the weekends, Anybody and anybody in between, uh, feel free to reach out to us and we'll try to make the right connection for you to um, get you involved if you're interested. John, I, I greatly appreciate your time here and, um, you know, everything, like I said, everything you're doing is awesome. And uh, whatever the Philadelphia Baseball Review can do for you going forward, please don't hesitate to let me know. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for all your coverage of, of local sports and uh, your support of umpires all over, too. Absolutely. John Galante, everybody.